Welcome to Conscious Curiosity SD, where successful San Diego leaders share their stories of leading beyond profit and are using the influence of business to positively change the companies and communities we all work and live in. I'm your host, Jeff Blanton from Jailbreak Leadership, a process that unlocks the full power, passion, and unlimited potential of your team to deliver your strategic vision of the future. We want to thank our collaborative community of San Diego business organizations, the Better Business Bureau, Conscious Capitalism, and Be Local. We're all focused on supporting this next generation of leaders. Welcome to the show. Today, we have one of the cornerstones of the purposeful leadership movement of people and purpose first in business from right here in our very own community of San Diego. Today in the studio, we are privileged to have Mr. Gary Ridge. Gary, welcome to Conscious Curiosity SD. G'day. It's so nice to be with you, Jeff. Thank you for the invite. So Gary is the culture coach and the chairman emeritus for the WD-40 company. He's with the WD-40 for over 35 years, retiring as CEO last year, and continues to impact the world of business through his coaching and consulting with his company, The Learning Moment. Gary also serves on several boards and is an adjunct professor at the University of San Diego. I must say, I feel really privileged for a guy that's as busy, influential, and as impactful a leader as you are to take time to be on my show today. So, Gary, thank you very much for coming. You're welcome, Jeff. It's funny, you know, you use the word busy. I don't like that word. No? No, I, I say I have an abundance of worthwhile work. Busy is a bit of an excuse. Go with that. I'm not, first, I'm going to say your leadership philosophy and the things you've done are not a secret. Uh, there's a tremendous amount of information out on the internet, videos, podcasts. Certainly, people can go to your website, thelearningmoment.net. You've co-authored a book with Ken Blanchard. What you do and how you do it is not a secret. You, you've definitely been out there sharing with folks. How I'd like to kick this off is, who is Gary Ridge? From Australia, here in the U.S., what's the backstory and what led to, or like, what are some of the defining moments that led to you to say, I'm going to do this different than everybody else out there? Well, that's a great question, and I didn't know it was deliberate when it was happening to me, but I joined WD-40 in 1987 in Sydney, Australia. I opened our Australian subsidiary down there with actually a fax machine under my bed, and uh, I had known the company for a few years because I worked for the distributor there. And from 87 to 94, I spent most of my time in Asia. WD-40 was a, a well-known brand in the US and it had a sprinkle of product around the world. We knew that there were lots of squeaks in every country. So was there a big global opportunity? So I was fortunate enough to join and worked in Asia. And in 1994, I was asked to move to the United States. So you were kind of trying to open up the market in Asia? That was... Yeah, okay. I was building the distributor network in Asia Got it. as part of our global expansion plan. And in 1994, I was asked to move to the United States and to head up our global expansion. I had a passion for taking the blue and yellow can with a little red top to the world. It's a great product. My dad was an engineer. He worked for the same company for 50 years. And when I first got involved with WD-40, I said to him, what do you think, Dad? And he said, you can't go wrong with that stuff, son. So it works. <laughs> number one lesson in life, Jeff, is listen to Dad. So I moved here in 1994. And then in 1997, our then CEO, Jerry Schleif, was retiring. And for some reason, the board of directors of a U.S. public company thought this Aussie guy might be okay. Anyhow, I was privileged at that time to be able to start leading 
a great brand. And we did have a dream. It was how do we take the blue and yellow cam with a little red top to the world? I was scared but not afraid. What was I scared of? It was a US public company. I'd never really been involved in Wall Street, but I knew the brand and I knew the potential. Anyhow, I I was flying one day from Los Angeles to Sydney. I was at 38,000 feet over the Pacific Ocean. It was dark outside. I don't know what time it was, but it was sometime in the middle of the night. And I had my reading light on. I think it was the only reading light on in the cabin. And I was reading some different articles and I came across some writing of the Dalai Lama. And I read this, our purpose in life is to make people happy. If you can't make them happy, at least don't hurt them. And I reflected on that statement, Jeff, and I thought, you know what I've noticed? A lot of people aren't going home from work happy, not necessarily at WD-40, but other places. Pretty soon after, I read something else, and it was something that was written by Aristotle. Pleasure in the job puts perfection in the work. And I thought, there's a message here. If we could create a culture where people went home happy and we could put pleasure in their job, there'd, there'd be perfection in their work. I didn't know how to do it. And then again, I was introduced to an opportunity at the University of San Diego. It was year one of a program there called the Master of Science in Executive Leadership. It was a master's program in leadership that was a joint program from the Ken Blanchard companies in the School of Business. And I went to a, a, uh, an information day and Ken was there. And Ken made this statement. He said, most MBA programs get people in the head. We got to start getting people in the heart. Mm. And I went, wow, this could be the answer. So I enrolled. I started my master's degree at USD. For the next two and a bit years, I studied leadership there under the professors like Ken Blanchard. And I just started to implement some of the stuff that we did or learned. And it started to work. Uh, If I fast forward, you know, I I was CEO of a US public company for 25 years. I I didn't retire. I refired. I don't like the word retire. Over that period of time, we 6X'd the revenue of WD-40. We took it to 176 countries around the world. We had a compounded annual growth rate of total shareholder return of 14% a year. All very impressive numbers. But the one I'm most proud of, 98% of the people at WD-40 company said, I love to tell people I work at this company. We had a 93% employee engagement, which blows the socks off people. The bottom line is, as leaders, we have a responsibility. Our responsibility is to create a place where people go to work every day. They make a contribution to something bigger than themselves, a true purpose. They are protected and set free by a compelling set of values and they go home happy. Because more importantly today, happy people build happy families. Happy families build happy communities. Happy communities build a happy world. We need a happy world and business has the biggest opportunity to make that impact. We are the biggest influencers. That's it. Without a doubt. People spend the majority of their waking hours at work. So there you go. I've just shared 20, 35 years. We're done. We're done. (laughs) Thanks very much. It's been great being with you. I mean, I want to go back. I mean, because it kind of struck me like you go, the board decided you were the guy. But you still hadn't really arrived at this concept, right? You hadn't read those two things that everything circles back to that. Everything you said, like, yep. What did they see then? 
who was the Gary then that they said, ah, you're the guy that's going to take this worldwide and, and you know, change this company? Well, I, I think what they saw was I had a passion for global business. That's okay. really what it was. I was the one that, you know, was brave enough to disrupt myself, move halfway across the world. So that was one of the biggest things. I disrupted myself. And I had a true belief that the brand had a place all around the world. You know, when I got to lead the company, 80% of our business was in the United States. Uh, we were about a hundred and something million in revenue. When I retired or refired, we were, you know, mid 500 million in revenue and 65% of the revenue was outside of the United States and the biggest growing part of our business and still is and will be a long time into the future. The blue and yellow can with a little red top is the only global brand in its category. So I think they saw my passion for global business. You know, I, I knew where the airports were. <laughs> there you go. But the key word is passion and a willingness to do something with that and whatever it took kind of idea. Yeah, I, I think passion and being brave. You know, um, why are we in some countries around the world that we're in? Because we were brave enough to go there. Right. So you say, you know, you, you've landed on these couple of statements, started rethinking stuff, started taking a class for this with a conversation, Ken Blanchard, the servant leadership and all these types of things. And you started to apply some things and you, you said it started to work. What did you see? I mean, there's obviously the business metrics. Those are great. We want that to happen and that should happen. What did you see internally that said this is working and we need to continue to ride this horse? I saw people smiling. I saw people appreciating the fact that this was an environment where we could learn. You know, we did a, a number of things that were very, very different to most companies. Number one is we took out the word failure and replaced it with learning moments because one of the biggest fears people have is to fail. So why would we have that word embedded in our business? Right. So we took that let's out. Let's learn an environment of fear. Right? Yeah, let's, you know, we're all afraid. Oh, we, that means we're going to be brave? No, not necessarily. Which is the opposite, like when you think when they hired you, because they said, here's the guys that go make something happen, right? Exactly. But if you go make something happen, sometimes things don't always go the way you plan. The other thing we did is we took out the word manager and we replaced it with the word coach. So everybody in the company was a coach. Now, if you think about a great coach, let's just reflect on that for a second. A great coach, number one, understands how the team needs to play to win. A great coach probably had some experience playing certain positions on the team. A great coach never runs on the field and kicks the ball. A great coach never goes to the podium and picks up the prize. A great coach spends a lot of time on the sideline observing the play, and their role is to help the player step into the best version of their personal self. It's a bit like the book I wrote with Ken. We're not here to mark your paper. We're here to help you get an A. And a great coach spends a lot of time in the locker room building the culture. Now, if you think about culture in an organization, it's pretty simple. Culture equals values plus behavior times consistency. When I was at school in Australia, at, in high school, my science teacher gave me a Petri dish. And the science teacher said, what we're going to do is we're going to grow culture in this Petri dish. Okay, fair enough. What's important? Well, number one, what are the ingredients that you need to put in the Petri dish to grow great culture, right? So if you think about a company, there's some ingredients that you need to put in a Petri dish to grow great culture. Number one, you have to have a people-first mindset. 
coaches, not managers. We're here to coach you to play your best game because we want you to win. Number two, you have to have a clearly defined, authentic purpose. Something that people say, I'm going to go to work today and make a difference to something bigger than myself. You have to have a hierarchical set of values. What does that mean? It means that these values have to describe the only acceptable behavior and attitude within the organization and they have to be hierarchical. Why? Because there has to be something more important than something else. You have to have transparency and a simple vision. You have to have learning moments, not failure. And the definition of a learning moment, a positive or negative outcome of any situation that needs to be openly and freely shared to benefit all people. You have to create an atmosphere of belonging. That's why we called ourselves a tribe. Now, us calling ourselves a tribe is not related to any indigenous group. It's taking the principles of tribalism that go way back to, you know, to Ugg the caveman, if you will. And they are, one of the biggest one is belonging. You know, one of the biggest desires we have as human beings is to belong. If you think of Maslow's hierarchy to self-actualization, the first two rungs are, am I safe and am I secure? The third one is loving or belonging. And loving and belonging is, was missing and still is missing in so many organizations. Everyone listening to us today has left a party, an organization, or even maybe a relationship because they didn't feel like they belong. And then fourth, the last thing, you have to have four pillars of care, candor, accountability, and responsibility. And care is when your empathy eats your ego instead of your ego eating your empathy. Candor is no lying, no faking, no hiding. I believe most people in business in life don't lie. What we do a lot is, is we fake and hide because of fear. Accountability is what do you expect of me and what I expect of you? And responsibility is we're going to hold each other responsible. We're going to be responsible for what we have to do. Putting all that together was something that was really important to us. And as we did that, people became more engaged. Our engagement levels went up. The will of the people went up. You know, you can have the best strategic plan in the world, but if only 30% of your people go to work each day and are passionate about executing towards that strategic plan, you're not maximizing their opportunity nor the opportunity of the business. Yeah, just think about that for a moment, 30%. And sometimes I even think the 30% may be overing passion or just the people that show up that have that nature of execution, right? Versus, man, I'm really excited to be here. What you described is kind of the opposite of what you see. So typically what I've seen and experienced in corporate America is take a department. We got the finance department and uh, a manager is left, retired, something's happened. We look around the department, they say, oh, Gary, he's our best accountant. Yeah, he, he always, his numbers always add up. We love the work that he does. So you are the expert. You're the best kicker on the team, right? Kind of right. We'll make you the manager. And so now all of a sudden, Gary's like, okay, now I got to manage, which is a whole different kind of job or coach or whatever you want to say, but typically we'll say, we can go manage these people. And what you know is I know how to kick the ball the best. I know how to do the numbers the best. So when the heat gets on, what do I do? Give me the ball. I'm going to run with it. So that seems to be the premise of how most companies run, how we promote. So you said, let's do this different. How, how did you implement? How did you probably, you inherited, you know, that the best kicker or the best finance guy was the finance guy. How did you help them make that shift? Well, firstly, isn't it sad that we don't teach leadership? It isn't it sad. There's the point. We don't yeah, teach leadership. leadership. Yeah. So we created the leadership academy. And internal to internal. Okay. Yeah. And I sponsored 35 people 
through the program I did at the University of San Diego to get master's degrees in leadership. 35 people within the company had, well, I was sending one, two, or maybe three people a year after I went in the first year to the same program I did because I wanted them to learn the power of servant leadership. So how do we do it? Deliberately. We had the Leadership Academy. I was very fortunate. My CHRO, uh, you may know Stan C, which I don't know whether you do or not, but he was my partner in learning. And we put together this great internal uh, Leadership Academy where we taught the principles of leadership because you have to understand what they are. So how did we do it? Intentionately, deliberately, consistently. So someone might say, well, that's great. You ran a big company. You got lots of money. It's easy for you to go, you know, do this kind of thing. I got a small business. How do I do that? (laughs) Interesting you should say that. Um, We didn't invest a lot of money in it. What happened was anybody who went to the program at USD had to become faculty internally. So we built our internal faculty and then we had the faculty teach others. So we did this all internally. We wrote the syllabus internally. We did the training internally. Actually, in the early days, we'd go and scrimp and save and ask some of our business partners if we could use their facilities to teach at because at that time, we were still in our old building down in Cudahy and we didn't have a lot of training space. Uh, We used rooms at USD. Now the company has a beautiful facility up in Scripps Ranch where we have those facilities, but it didn't cost a lot of money. It just took time, which costs money, I guess, and effort. Um, We didn't go out and hire some, you know, swanky leadership development company to come in and, you know, teach us one class. We integrated this, although we did use programs from companies like the Blanchard companies, you know, situational leadership became embedded in our in our leadership development program. Yeah, you can do it. You know, it's- It's more, it's, the, it's more the desire to do it. It's deliberate. You'll, you'll figure it out if it's you the, want to yeah, get it done, right? You know, Jeff, this is simple. It's not easy. And time is not your friend. Now, what do I mean by that? What we need to do to build great cultures in organizations is simple. I gave you the list of things we have to think about. Number one is a people first attitude. It's all about the people. It's not easy. A lot of people think that you're creating culture is, you know, singing kumbaya and eating popcorn on a Friday. A lot of people think, let's just bring in this one training program and we'll sprinkle some fairy dust over the company and boof, you know, just like the genie out of the bottle, we now, we now have this great culture. It's not that at all. The leadership group have to be committed to the fact that culture equals establishing a great set of values, behaviours, What behaviours do you want in the organisation? The leadership has to love and their people enough to not only reward them and applaud them for doing great work, but they have to be brave enough to redirect behaviour that's toxic against the culture. And unfortunately, Jeff, a lot of people protect their own comfort zone at the expense of other people's development. That's why having the principles of coaching are so important because we're not here to harm you. We're here to help you grow. So it's more about how do you address a problem, right? Yeah. Where it's not a personal issue. No, no, it's how do you do that? And here's our values. Then this is how we're going to act as we're here. Love and it. it's got, you got to be consistent. I tell you, you know, I was so fortunate that I don't know, but I think I'm the, it, within the top 10 of the longest serving public company CEOs in the United States. I was a CEO of a, the same public company for 25 years. 
I was fortunate because I had that runway. And a long tenure, yeah. To be able to implement and then be the steward of the culture. And now it's embedded in the organization. Which is not the typical, right? I mean, the turnover, I, I don't know the statistics, but it's short. It's three to four years. Yeah. Three Which to is four. hard to, how do you implement any kind of significant change? Well, you can go in and you can, you know, ax the change. You can give me a, you know, deal me a company tomorrow that needs to change. Well, I'll go in and I'll change it. I can do that in a short period of time, right. but it's what survives after that. You know, we, we had a, we made ourselves a promise. We were going to build an enduring company that we would be proud to pass on to the next generation. Now think about that. But the other thing that's so wonderful is we did it and we created extreme value for our constituents. You know, if you would have bought a hundred dollars worth of WD-40 stock in 1997, when I retired, refired last year, that stock purchase would have been worth $1,780. And we nearly 6X the revenue. But more importantly, as I said, we had employee engagement at 93% and 98% of people went home happy. So that's really the offset. So the, you know, the business is a process to get to an outcome of delivering value to the shareholders, to the people who go to work every day, to the customers we serve, to the environment that we're part of, to the community that we live in. That's what it's about. So why do we see this resistance? I mean, it just seems like at some level, this is just logical. Get people engaged, get people enjoying what they're doing, right back to the, 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 the how we started this whole thing. And the outcomes of these amazing results. And they've been measured for years now, for some 20 years, we've been looking at companies that lead the way you lead and you get great results. But meanwhile, you know, all the corporations, how many people actually lead this way seems to be like way down on the low numbers. Well, why is that? What do, what do you think is the root cause here? Why can't we make that shift? Because they're trained to, to think in, on short-term intervals. You know, uh, if Wall Street says, what did you do for me in the last 90 days? A business comes out and, and it misses their number by a penny and suddenly it's, I love the work of Simon Sinek. And Simon talks about the infinite game. And, you know, early on in my leadership at WD-40, I continually said, don't follow us quarter to quarter. If you follow us quarter to quarter, you'll jump off a cliff because I'm not smart enough to be able to create value in 90-day intervals. But what we will do is we will build an enduring company that creates value over time. And... You know, I remember early on one of our largest shareholders who was really into a long-term vision, I said to them, I'm not smart enough to run a business in 90-day intervals. And they said, thank God you're not dumb enough to try. So I think, you know, this short-term thinking, greed, you know, the fast world, you look at some of the great investors over time, the Buffets and whoever, they're all about buying quality businesses and supporting them. Now, Certainly along the way, you've got to hold people accountable. You know, you've got to show results over time, but give people the chance to do that. And then ego. You know, I I invented someone called Al, the soul-sucking CEO of Fear, Inc. Mm. And that could be Alice, the soul-sucking CEO. Let me tell you a little bit about Al for a minute because I could have brought him with me today, but I I didn't. But let me give you some of Al's behaviours because I think – our listeners today might know a couple of owls. Al, firstly, his ego eats his empathy instead of his empathy eating his ego. 
he or she thinks micromanagement is essential. He or she thinks they are corporate royalty. I have spent my life climbing up the ladder of this organisation. Therefore, thou shall bow down to me. I will have the largest office in the building. I may even have my own personal parking spot. You will not find me in the cafeteria or the cantina. Someone shall bring me coffee and tea. They're a fear-based culture. They love fear. They're a master of control and a know-it-all. They have all the answers, all the wrong ones as well as the right ones. They think learning is for losers. They must always be right. They hate feedback and they don't follow through on their commitments. But if you think about the servant leader, the other side of that, what is the servant leader? The servant leader has some attributes. The servant leaders involve and love their people. Now, I used to introduce myself as, G'day, I'm Gary Ridge. I'm the consciously incompetent, probably wrong and roughly right chairman and CEO of WD40 Company, and I need a lot of help. Because the three most important words I learned in my life in leadership were, I don't know. And I got comfortable with it. So leaders are always in servant leadership mode. They're expected to be competent. They're connected with emotional intelligence. They love learning moments. They have a heart of gold, but a backbone of steel because great leadership is a balance between being tough-minded and tender-hearted. They're champions of hope. They know micromanagement is not scalable. They do what they say they're going to do and they love feedback. There's the difference. Awesome. For all you can make that shift here. So speaking of the shift, kind of interesting your perspective of this. So we had COVID, came in, shook up the whole world, sent people home. They took a few minutes. They said, wow, let me evaluate this thing called work. One, I'm working from my house. And two, I'm uh, starting to kind of question what I'm doing for a living. There was a bit of a rally. You know, all of a sudden employees started to have a voice in this whole thing. And management started to say, yeah, okay, maybe we should uh, think about how we do things a little bit differently. Now I kind of look at where we are today. You're seeing all kinds of like, nope, get back to work. Like we're commanding people to get back to work. We're um, most recently I've seen this whole ESG, right? We've got this movement. And all of a sudden it's like, oh, that's a woke idea. We shouldn't be doing that. There's a big resistance to that. So all of a sudden across the board, layoffs now, all of a sudden the big alarm bells are going off. So it seems like we very quickly are starting to revert back to kind of where we were. What's your thoughts? What are you seeing? Maybe what should we be hopeful for? What's happening, Gary, from your perspective? Well, firstly, you know, we all wish COVID would never have happened. COVID slapped a lot of leaders up the side of the head because they said it made them look at the value of people. And a lot of people did make decisions and there was a lot of talk about the great resignation. It wasn't the great resignation. It was the great escape. People were either escaping from or to the cultures of your company. And in the beginning, there was a lot of there was a number of people putting sort of stakes in the sand. We're going to be virtual forever. No, we're not. Well, that was a bit silly because we didn't really know. So what's happening now? Well, in the early parts of COVID as leaders, what did we, what was our biggest responsibility? The safety and the well-being of our people. You know, in those early days, we didn't know if this was the end of the world. So what did we need to do? We needed to take notice of those who had higher opinions than us medically and keep our people safe. So, you know, Sending them home, switching to virtual very quickly was where we could the right thing to do. Here's the challenge with that. We are connectors. And what we have to do now is be able to say, okay, we learned that we can be somewhat virtual. And let's use the word hybrid. So I think hybrid is here to stay. 
we cannot let the connected part of our human being dissolve. And I think our big challenge as leaders right now is to fill in this statement. I'm leaving home in the morning. I'm saying goodbye to my husband, wife, or significant other. I'm giving them a high five and they say, I can't wait to get into the office today because fill in the blank. And the blank is not because they're giving me free food. The blank is not because I'm going to play ping pong. So I think now's our opportunity to think of what do we need to create to bring people together to do meaningful, exciting work that they want to go to. And at the same time, we have to realise that there's no reason for someone to drive through the traffic and come in and sit in front of a computer screen all day. But we have to get back to being connected because that's where strategy becomes really important. That's where motivation, enthusiasm, you know, coming together to be able to do those superhuman things that we need to do because we need input from everyone else that you don't get in a real way on a Teams or Zoom screen. It doesn't happen. So I don't think we're there yet. I think it's a work in progress. I think people are becoming more aware of the fact that we have to find a way to bring out the brilliance of people when they're together. And I think we'll work it out. I think we're smart enough to work it out. But it's not this absolute anymore. Yeah. It's all going to be virtual. No, it's we, all going to be. We like that black and white, right? We, yeah. <laughs> it's not going to be that anymore. Because it's so simple when we can do it that way. Yeah. So we've got to find out that fill in the blank. I don't think that's important. I can't help but believe that, you know, you, you just described the performance of WD-40 by leading in this way. And, I mean, at some level, people have to naturally start to go, we have to follow this. We have to think differently about this because how else can I compete in the world? If I want to be able to draw the best people and keep my people, retain my folks, it's like I have to do it differently. Yeah. So I would think naturally it's going to move that way. Kind of generationally, people are saying we need we need something different. So <laughs> but, but I would Jeff, hope that we're going to go there. But Jeff, here's, the tr- here's what I find really interesting. That quote of Aristotle's, he was born in 384 BC. <laughs> okay, maybe we're not, maybe we haven't quite figured it out. Right? <laughs> hey, we're just slow learners. <laughs> It's a learning moment. It's a learning moment. Like people, wake up. If we can create this environment where people are enthusiastic and love what they do and you're treating them with respect and dignity and fairness and you're giving them the opportunity to learn and, you know, you're being clear about accountability and what we all stand for, it's not about just hugging and pizzas. It's more than that. It's a clearly defined purpose, a great set of values, a good strategy, bold execution, learning moments instead of failures and those pillars of care, candor, accountability and responsibility because I am convinced that purpose-driven, passionate people guided by their values create amazing outcomes. And why am I convinced about that? Because that wonderful group of people that I got to work with for 25 years as, as their leader, that I was so privileged to lead, they did that. Right. You've proved it. They uh, proved it, not right. me. They yeah, proved right. it. They proved it. And, You've and lived the, it. And the end of the day... We just sell oil in a can. Come on, if we can do it, any dumbass can do it. So to that point, so I'm a leader, I'm listening to this, oh, that sounds good. So how do I find that authentic purpose, that purpose that starts to bring people together, create that passion, that enthusiasm for the business? And yeah, we don't, maybe we're not making some life-saving medical device or something over, yeah, we sell trash cans or we make oil or whatever we do. How do you work with folks to help them discover that 
kind of unique statement that people can rally around and go, that's, that's us. That's why I wake up on a Monday morning ready to go to work. Talk to their people. Look at their business. You know, what's the purpose at WD-40 Company? What do you think our purpose is? I mean, ultimately, I think it's about people. I mean, it's like, you know, creating opportunities but, for but people. But if I asked but you. But ultimately, you, as a business, your service is uh, to eliminate squeaks, make things, uh, lubricate things. That's what most people say. You know what our purpose is? To create positive, lasting memories. Here's our purpose statement. We exist to create positive, lasting memories, solving problems in factories, homes, and workshops around the world. We solve problems and we create opportunities. So if someone asked me what business I was in, I was in the memories business. We, we created memories for our end users and consumers, for our customers, for the people who went to work every day. And interestingly enough, the second value at the company is we exist to create positive, lasting memories in all of our relationships. Now, that doesn't say it's easy. Again, it's not easy, but that's our purpose. You know, if you can come to a point, and then we had a just cause, a group of people that come together to protect and feed each other. That's the whole cause of our of our tribal culture, if you will. Mm -hmm. Talk to the people. You know, it's there. You know that. You've worked with Purpose for many years. I actually had that experience yesterday. So I'm actually, was doing a sales pitch yesterday for a company that was acquired. I got the acquirer there. I got the owner who's doing the earn out. And I said, so what's the goal here? It's December 31st, 2023. What's the goal? Really simple. Increase revenue by $12 million. Okay. <laughs> what else you got? I get a couple more business metrics. But what else? What else are we measuring here? We filled up half a whiteboard, Gary, with all these other stuff. And somewhere along the way, little words started coming out. Who they were, what was important, uh, who we could be in the marketplace. And one of the biggest thing is we want to kind of move this from a lifestyle business to like we want to be a corporate growth business creating opportunities. And the uh, the buyer made this said the two words statement that grow together. I'm like, oh, okay, I like that. So we'll go back and we'll massage that. But that's sort of the idea. It's like yes. They've got a product, they got a service, but look at this opportunity to do something really unique and interesting in this company that everyone could rally around. Absolutely, Jeff. And there's two things people want to know in that work, go to work every day. The first one is, do I matter? Right? Do I matter? And the second one is, what difference can I make? So if we can show them how they matter. You know, I was in Dubai a couple of weeks ago. I'm working with a company over there that is in the trash business. They have a, lots of trash trucks like we see running around here picking up trash cans. And if you're in the trash business, you know, what's your purpose? You know, when you think about what that business does, it creates the opportunity for people to clear their trash out, to be able to, you know, so you don't say, it's not a matter of saying I'm in the trash business, but I'm in the world of, you know, environmental, to make the environment a better place by taking that trash and making sure it doesn't end up in a, landfill or whatever. How do you take that and put it into just a few simple words? Picking trash for a better world or whatever it is. And it's got to be authentic. You know, yeah. there's too much purpose washing out there. I agree. It's got to be authentic. It's got to get you in the heart. And I think it really has to come to the leader's heart, right? Yeah. I mean, kind of back then, you know, they hired you because of passion, right? To become CEO. There has to be this passion at the top of We're going to go somewhere, everybody. Come on, get on this bus. Let's go. Yeah. Can't so, be a marketing exercise. There's got to be meaning. You know, that's what it's all about. You know, I I finally, you see, I have my little notebook here in the in the studio, and you would think after twenty five years as a CEO, I, I might have kind of got some of it right, but I actually have a little thing on my notepad here that's stuck on there, and it says, "Am I being the person I want to be right now?" And this is, comes down to meaning, 
And why do I have this on there? Well, because we are just these kind of humble human beings bumbling our way down the pathway of life. And in the bushes, particularly in business, are these thieves that come out and grab us and take us into the bushes. Thieves of greed, anger, the whole feeling of not having compassion. So I've got this on here and it says, who is this person? So I have to remind myself of who I want to be. I want to be grateful, caring, empathetic, reasonable, a listener, fact-based, have a balanced opinion, be curious, be a learner and throw sunshine, not a shadow. I don't know how many times a day I look at that because when I can be that person, I feel really good. That's your legacy. So I That's what you want to be known as, right? Yeah. So I want others to say, who do I want to be? And don't let the world make you something that you don't want to be. Look in the mirror. Or look on the front of your notepad. We have that opportunity. Yeah. I want to talk about refiring. Mm. I'm going to be 67 at the end of the month, which is my five-year anniversary on doing jailbreak leadership. I got at least another five years in me here, Gary. I see this kind of struggle in the world where folks in our age group, maybe holding on too long to the roles that we got. Maybe we need to be, be making a shift and coming alongside rather than leading. I don't know. I love to hear your thoughts because you've obviously gone through this transition in it now. What, what do you got to share on that subject? Sure. Well, firstly, it's got to be deliberate. I, I started planning my move out from my role eight years ago. That's when we started my succession planning. You know, we wanted to make sure that, you know, we, we had someone in the organization internally that really valued our culture. And, and Steve Brass, who is our CEO now, he's been with the company 31 years. And, you know, eight years ago, he would have been there 23 years. So we started that process. And Marshall Goldsmith, who was a dear friend of mine, said to me, he gave me two pieces of advice as I was talking to him about four years ago around this. And he said, number one, Gary, make sure you go out on top. Don't stay too long. And number two, do not float into a void. After doing what you do for 25 years, you cannot float into a void. You have to continue your purpose. And I agreed with him. I've now done my 25-year apprenticeship in leadership. It's now time for me to do some real work. And I am truly passionate about the fact that business can make a positive difference in the world. Through my practice, The Learning Moment, I'm now coaching five CEOs. I'm working with two other companies. I'm on the board of a couple of companies, but I'm only working with people who are passionate about helping build great cultures within their organizations. And I'm bringing my scar tissue because after 25 years, I have a lot of scar tissue. Learned to learn a few things along yeah, the way, right? Yeah. You know, I've never made a mistake in my life, but I've had lots of learning moments. <laughs> there you go. love it. So that's what I'm doing. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm enjoying it. I've just finished the proposal on my new book. It's called Any Dumbass Can Do It. Uh, and why such a stupid statement? Because I think a lot of people think that you have to be a Harvard professor to build culture. No, you don't. You can be a one-time traveling salesman from Australia like me. And as long as you look, find out what the principles are and you don't camouflage the issue with confusion to make out how smart you are and you're deliberate, you can create these wonderful places. And at the end of the day, that's what matters. You know, 90-year-old me laying on my deathbed, what will I value the most? The opportunity that I had to touch some people along the way, hold onto their elbow a little bit and watch them run into the future. That's what's important to me. So that's what I'm doing, and uh, I'm having a lot of fun doing it. I um, love that. I miss my tribe. 
Yes. I must say yeah. that, you know, right. um, but it's the time. And, you know, great. I would have stayed there forever, but that wasn't the right thing to do. You have to move on to let leadership. And, yeah, Steve's much smarter than me, so he'll do a better job than I ever did. I love that idea, don't, don't just march off into the void. Because there is this great opportunity for leaders that have done great work and, you know, it's like, yeah, just take a different role. That's you know, instead of being the point person, come alongside. I mean, you just see so much of it today. I mean, our government, right? I mean, sitting here and go, oh, our next president election, we're going to have guys in our 80s. <laughs> like, come on, let the next crew come in. Right? <laughs> well, you know, as long as the next crew is ready. is ready and has the competence to do it. So, but shame on us as leaders if they're not. Kind of back to like, uh, let's start this. I'll wake up one day and go, oh, okay, your turn. Yeah, exactly. Like you have to plan this out. Right. I mean, that's our responsibility to the organization, those that we have the privilege to lead. You know, everybody that's in an organization, it's a privilege for us to lead them. Do your job. Truly is a privilege. Well, Gary, uh, we're kind of coming into the show here, and I always like to end with uh, – What's your big idea, big takeaway? So, you know, we spent the last 40 minutes here chit-chatting. What would you, if no, people didn't remember anything from that 40 minutes, what is like the one thing you would like them to remember? Life's a gift. Don't send it back unwrapped. Ah, very nice. Very nice. Well, Gary, I want to thank you for taking the time to come to the show today to share your amazing experience, insights, and wisdom. As I said in the beginning of the show, if you want to know more about Gary's approach to leadership, there's a tremendous amount of information out on the website. You can go to learningmoment.net or just Google Gary Ridge. Uh, you'll find all kinds of videos and get your own master's degree in purposeful leadership. Gary, thank you again for taking the time to be on the show and for all the work you've done to impact the world and our community of San Diego. That's our show for today. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe and comment. And most importantly, share the podcast with a friend. Again, special thanks to our collaborative community of San Diego business organizations, the Better Business Bureau, Conscious Capitalism, and Be Local, who are all using the influence of business to positively impact our very own community of San Diego. I'm Jeff Blanton from Geobreak Leadership saying, until next time, go do what you do. Go do what you do best, for we are all counting on you. <laughs>